Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're doing this uh, series called Set Apart. Uh, been in it ever since we got into the new year with the uh, hopefully establishing the idea in our minds that if we're Christians, we need to live our lives more set apart to Jesus. The Bible teaches that through faith in Jesus, we have been set apart to him. But there's also an ongoing process to where we need to live more and more set apart lives. Our, our lives need to be more about the purposes of, uh, of God. Uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them, but they're going to bring up on the screen uh, where we've been so far. Uh, but today we're down at the very bottom there, the, the sixth part of this series in this underlined section. Because I'm going to be talking about set apart for the gospel. Now, I do want you to notice the last three weeks, counting today, uh, has a similar underlying theme. Because we talked about being set apart to proclaim the Word of God a couple of weeks ago. And we looked at Paul and Barnabas being set apart to go on a missionary journey. And they were set apart to proclaim the Word of God. And while that's true of them, I think the Bible teaches that's also true for all of us as believers that we need to view ourselves as being set apart to proclaim uh, the Word of God. Last week, as we talked about setting apart Jesus as Lord in your heart, uh, one of the things I told you is this. If you're setting Him apart as Lord upon your heart, uh, He's not just going to stay there. You know, he's going to manifest himself and our, our behaviors, the way we act and what we say. So he needs to be Lord, not just of our heart. He also needs to be Lord over our voice. And today uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter one, verse one through seven, which is more or less uh, Paul establishing his credentials as he writes this letter inspired of God to the church at Rome. And he's establishing uh, more or less why he has uh, been called upon to do that, who he is. Uh, to where they would understand his authority and uh, in writing this letter to them as he is going to say he's set apart for the gospel. Uh, we'll read those verses in a moment, but I would submit to you, I want you to be sure that you see that ongoing theme over the last three weeks. And, and I think maybe God led us there because in my opinion, and I think probably yours, if, if you'd be honest, uh, the church in this day and time is not doing the best job we could to make disciples. We're not doing the best job that we could to try and share the gospel and try and win people to Jesus and, and trying to make disciples. Yes, Paul set apart to the gospel, but as I read these verses in just a minute, everything Paul says about himself, the Bible tells us all the Bible is for our teaching also. It's for application to us also. So just because Paul's going to be talking about how he's set apart as a servant and an ambassador and someone that's to go out and, and share the gospel with the purpose of trying to bring to obedience to the faith uh, the nations of the world, that's the way we ought to view ourselves. Now, having said that, before I read the verses, we need to pray for people in, uh, uh, in Florida and, of course, uh, other places impacted by the tragedies that have been taking place in our land. And uh, I'm not saying this trying to make a political statement at all. I'm not uh, here to talk about uh, one, one side necessarily of gun control or not gun control. I will tell you this. Foundationally, the problem is a human heart. Amen? Foundationally, the problem is a human heart. It's not in some inanimate object. It's in the human heart. And, and if we want to lay blame, instead of just being political about it, even as believers, if we want to lay blame, the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God. And if we want to lay blame to things like this happening in our culture, just maybe it's our fault because we have not been winning people to Jesus and we've not been making disciples 
because it's very unlikely a disciple of Christ, unless something goes very, very wacky, and that can happen mainly with people, would go and do the things that we've been seeing take place. So maybe we need to own that today, that we need to recognize that if we would do a better job as the church in America making disciples and winning people to Jesus, that we would view ourselves as being set apart to the gospel Uh, maybe we'd see a snowball effect of this happening less and less and less and less. I grew up in an America that I don't ever remember hearing about a school shooting. I'll be 62 next Sunday. I remember us praying in school. I remember just being a different culture. And I don't remember going to school being afraid that someone might walk into my school with a gun. And, And I'm just telling you guys, we have left some things that our nation needs to get back to. And I think that's the answer to the things that we see taking place in our culture. That's all I need to say about that. But in Romans chapter 1, join with me in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Paul is writing this about himself that we need to apply to ourselves also. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning... His son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, of the name of Jesus For the sake of his name, among all nations, among all people groups. Don't just apply that overseas. Among all people groups, among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you join me in prayer? Father, God, we want to ask your forgiveness on the front end of this message. Forgive us for wasting so much time that we need to spend being your servants and being your representatives and being sharers of the gospel. Father, we ask that you would transform the hearts in our land. But Father, we recognize that happens through the gospel of Christ, not just by laws, not just by by, by, by trying to make people change. But Father, it, it happens when, when you change their lives from the inside out by the power of your gospel. Father, forgive us for our lack of sharing the gospel with others. Forgive us for our lack of seeing ourselves set apart to the gospel. Father, as we look at the life of Paul and what he writes about himself this morning, help us to see ourselves more as he saw himself. And help us not just to see ourselves, but help us to function in the way that we should as we live our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what are some important truths that we can gather from this passage of Scripture, these seven verses that Paul writes to where we can more see ourselves as being set apart to the gospel? Probably probably no one uh, that knows anything about the life of Paul would debate whether or not Paul was called to the gospel. He was set apart to the gospel. I understand what his life was. I know that he was persecuting Christians, even to the death. But I also know that he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And that completely, completely, completely rocked his world and changed his life when he met Jesus. And the one that was persecuting the church becomes a great sharer of the gospel. God uses him to plant churches all over Asia Minor. God uses him to lead people to faith and disciple them. God uses him to write more of the New Testament than anyone else was used in spite of God to write the New Testament. So probably all of us would stand in agreement and say, yes, the Apostle Paul was set apart to the gospel. But what is true of Paul, I want you to understand this morning, we need a view of being true about ourselves. While Paul is writing this as an introduction to this book of, of Romans, this letter that he sent into to these believers in Rome, in with what he says about himself, we need to make application to our lives. So let's try and do that as we look at these verses. 
Here's the first application maybe we need to make. We need to see ourselves as Paul saw himself. We need to see ourselves set apart to be servants of Christ. Paul said that he was set apart to be a servant of Christ. In, in, in verse 1, Paul writes these words, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Uh, two weeks ago, when we looked at Paul being sent off, he and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, I talked about how God changed his name. He changed his name from Saul, and he changed his name to Paul, that means little. Uh, maybe God was, uh, uh, you know, jesting around a little bit with Paul's nature a little bit, because before that, Paul saw himself as this Pharisee among Pharisees. He had a lot of pride in his life, and he's out persecuting the believers, and God changes his name to a name that means little. Paul said that he is the one who God has changed his name to little, and yet he's a servant of Jesus Christ. There are different words in the Bible and in the New Testament that's used for servant. One of the predominant words is the Greek word doulos. And primarily, doulos refers to a voluntary slave. It's someone who on a voluntary basis is living their life in subjection or subservancy. The root word means to bind or to be bound to. Now, I've told this before if you've been around here very long, but if you apply the meaning of a bond slave or a voluntary slave to some things that happen in the Old Testament culture of the Jews, here's what would happen many times. You see, there'd be certain festivals and feasts at certain years when the slaves were supposed to be set free. But if that slave so loved his master that he did not want to be set free, he could go to his master and he and the master would go to the priest and they would take him down to the temple and or the tabernacle, whichever the case was, and they would put the ear of that servant up against the door and they would take a wood awl, which would cut a hole in the ear and make a hole in the ear so there's a visible sign on that servant that he chose voluntarily to remain the servant of his master. I think Paul, we can look at his life and say there are some things, maybe not a hole in his ear, but there are some things externally about Paul's life, the way he lived his life, that would have shown other people that he was a servant of Jesus Christ, that he was a servant of the Christos, the anointed one, the one whose name means Jehovah's salvation. That's who Paul was. That's how he viewed himself to be a servant of Jesus. We're going to see in a moment he viewed himself to be an apostle of Jesus and and a sharer of the gospel trying to impact the nations with, with the faith of the gospel. My suggestion to you is we need to view ourselves the same way. We need to view ourselves as being servants of Jesus. Your name may not be little, but we need to view ourselves in terms of who God is as being little because he's the one in charge, amen? I don't need to view my life as though I'm in charge. Instead, I need to view myself as a voluntary slave to Jesus. I need to view myself as being in subjection or subservancy to Jesus, that I am bound to Jesus. And one good reason I'm bound to Jesus is this. He bought me. He paid for me with his shed blood on the cross. I'm his property. I'm bound to him for all eternity because of the faith that he's given me in him. We need to view ourselves like that. And just as you could look at that bond servant walking around after he had been down to the temple door and had the hole put in his ear, guys, there ought to be some things in our lives that people around us can view and say, you know what? I can see signs of that person being a servant of Jesus. We need to view ourselves like that, to where we consider ourselves to be servants of Jesus. You might ask yourself, well, why? I mean, why should you consider yourself a slave to Jesus? Why should you consider yourself in subservancy to Jesus? Well, how about this? Because he is the Messiah, the one that God sent, the anointed one, whose name means Jehovah's salvation. He came into this world. He died on the cross for you. He bought you and paid for you with his shed blood. And just maybe, just maybe, I'm pretty sure that if you know him as your savior, you ought to view yourself as a servant of Christ. So, Pastor, but I do a lot of things in my life. I understand that. But the higher calling that you have, no matter what you do in your life, is to be a servant of Jesus. That's a higher calling that, that, that we need to view ourselves as. He, he not only viewed himself, by the way, before someone gets their theology twisted up, even though I'm talking about being a servant, you're not saved by being a servant of Jesus. Can I clarify that? You're saved by faith in Jesus, by trusting in him. But then because you're saved, then 
you view yourself as a servant. And, and then you spend your time serving him in your life. Second thing we need to view ourselves, as Paul views himself, we need to be looking at ourselves as though we're set apart to be representatives of Christ. Paul goes on after he said he was a servant. He said, I'm called to be an apostle. He literally, the the calling that Paul had upon his life was that Jesus had literally in person invited him, appointed him, given him this calling and invitation to be an apostle. The Greek word is apostolos. It means a, a delegate, an ambassador of, of the gospel, officially commissioned by Christ as one of his disciples. Now, let me stop there. I will see sometimes, uh, like online, where there'll be this ministry and that ministry, and, and someone's calling themselves apostle so-and-so. Well, I understand maybe how they're trying to view that, but, but I think that's confusing to people. There's no such thing in the world today as someone who is literally, in the truest sense of the word, an apostle of Jesus. Here's why. You would have had to have seen him face to face. You would have had to have experienced his call. You would have had to have seen Jesus in the resurrected Lord. Paul did that. (laughs) And God specifically called him. So there's not such a thing as a true apostle walking around in the world today. But in a broader sense of the word, in a broader sense of the meaning, I do think in the larger sense, all believers need to see ourselves as this. We need to see ourselves as ambassadors of Christ. Because that's what part of the word apostle meant, to be an ambassador of the gospel. The root word means to be set apart and set on a mission, to be set fast. That's how Paul viewed himself, that God had set him apart, that God had given him a ministry, and he was set fast in that ministry. And as believers, all of us need to view ourselves in the same way. No, you're not literally, in the fullest sense of the term, an apostle, but we all who know Christ as our Savior ought to view ourselves as servants, but we also ought to view ourselves as the representatives or the ambassadors of Jesus. You know what an ambassador does, don't you? Our president, our government will appoint ambassadors to go out and represent our country. And they'll go out and live in that realm of that country, representing our nation, representing our president. Well, apply that to your life as a Christian. God has called you to himself. He's given you a mission in a ministry, all of us. And we need to view ourselves as being set apart to be ambassadors in the lost world that we live in. We are here to be representatives of Christ in the midst of this world that we live in. If you're a Christian, you ought to view yourself, not just view yourself, but you ought to act. There's a typo there twice, not ambassador. You ought to be an ambassador to Christ. You need to view yourself in that way, that you're an ambassador to Christ. Look at what else Paul writes uh, in, in another passage here in 2 Corinthians. Here's why I say we all ought to view ourselves as that, as an ambassador, a representative. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and I'll unpack this in a minute, I'm just going to read through it. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Paul uses the plural, and he's referring about himself, but I think he also has an application here to all believers. The scripture is left behind for us guys to learn from and apply to our lives. So even though Paul is using the plural here as though he is is speaking to himself, I want us to walk through that passage. I want to ask you some questions and point out some things. Here's the first question. Are you included in this statement if anyone is in Christ? Are you yourself included in this statement if anyone is in Christ? 
That simply means this. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you know without any doubt that you are in Christ, then that means that all this passage applies to you, what we're about to talk about. Being a new creation. He said, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And we all understand that means that there's something new's come. The old is gone. Someone that authentically knows Christ as their Savior, they're not called to keep living the same way they were living the rest of their life. There's this, this change, this transformation that God is, is bringing about in their life. And God views you as a new creature, a new creation, because he's given you the very righteousness of his Son. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus. Isn't that good news? So that also means this, though. It means he's given you a new purpose in your life. There's a new reason why you ought to be living your life. Another question, has Christ reconciled you to God? Well, that's kind of a repetitive question because if anyone is in Christ, that means he has reconciled you to God. If you know Christ is your Savior, he has reconciled you to God. But that also means this, based on the scriptures we just read. If so, you have also been given the ministry of reconciliation. God didn't just save you for you to say, well, I'm saved now. I'm on the way to heaven. I'll just wait for that to happen. No, he's given you a purpose. He's given you a ministry of reconciliation. Somebody else had a ministry of reconciliation that God used to speak into your life, to, to pour into your life, to walk into your life and lead you to faith in Jesus. Now that you know Christ is your Savior, God wants to use you. He's given you this ministry of reconciliation because God's wanting to reconcile the world to himself. And here's an amazing thing. God wants to use you. God wants to use me to help reconcile the world to himself as we Take the gospel message to them as we carry out this, this ministry. Because you see, it's also a message. God has entrusted to us, that passage of scripture said, he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. A message is normally something you have to do what with? If you're going to share a message with someone, what do you have to do? You have to tell it. I've heard people talk about before, you know, that we ought to be sharing the gospel of Christ and you have to use words. I understand that sentiment. In other words, it takes more than words. You have to be authentic and live it in your life. But I, the flip side of that, I'll push back against it a little bit, is that it does take words. I doubt if many of us are going to live so effectively, someone's just going to come up and say, I understand the gospel now. I want to trust in Jesus because I've been watching your life. Yet we ought to be as authentic as we can be, but it takes words. We have to be willing to share this message of reconciliation, the message that people can be reconciled with God and forgiven of their sins through faith in Jesus. And we'll look at what that message means more as, as we go through the message. A couple of other things. Therefore, along with the Apostle Paul, we're still living there in Corinthians where I read just a moment ago. Therefore, along with the Apostle Paul, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. We are to be allowing God to make his appeal through us. We're to allow God to use us to implore others on the behalf of Christ that they would be reconciled to God. Now, someone may ask, well, why should I do that? I'm, I'm busy. I've got a lot going on in my life. Why, why in the world should, should I take time to do that? Why should I view myself as a servant and an ambassador of Christ? Why, why should I be carrying out this, this message, this ministry of reconciliation? Well, how about this reason? For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand what they're saying? Perfect Jesus, sinless Jesus, was given my sin. A great trade exchange took place. God put my sin and your sin and the sin of mankind upon Jesus as he's on the cross. And then through our faith in Jesus, God gives us the very righteousness of Jesus. And guys, I'm just telling thinking maybe that's a pretty good reason why we ought to be viewing ourselves to set apart to the gospel because he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. Just maybe that's a good reason for us to serve him. 
Just maybe that's a good reason for us to view ourselves as being his ambassadors, being his representatives. Paul views himself as a servant of Christ. He views himself as a representative of Christ and his gospel. And Paul didn't just view it as some title or view it in some type of information that he's sharing. Paul viewed it as something he was supposed to do. Not only was Paul saying, I'm set apart as a servant, I'm set apart to be a representative of Christ. Paul also recognized that he had been set apart to be a sharer of the gospel of Christ in this world. And my point is simply this. Let me remind you. I think what Paul is saying about himself, we ought to apply to our lives. We ought to be servants of Jesus. We ought to be representatives of Jesus. We also ought to be sharers of the gospel because there's still lost people in this world. We still ought to view ourselves as being set apart for the gospel. Look at what he says, and then we're going to kind of break this passage down also. After he said he was a servant and an ambassador, he said that he was set apart for the gospel of God, which he, talking about God, promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Through whom, through Jesus, through whom we've received grace and apostleship. Notice this, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And then Paul looks at them in Rome and he said, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to be sharers of the gospel. Paul viewed his life as being set apart to the gospel. We need to be advertisers maybe of the gospel. Someone in the first service was joking with me. They called me off to the side. Matter of fact, it was the person sitting in front of him. The instigator was behind him. He said, I got a question. Well, he had a question, but I want to ask a question. He said, does Indian Motorcycle pay you money for advertising for them? I said, no, but if you guys will write a letter and tell them that I do it a lot, maybe they'll send us some money. I'm just joking about that. But you can maybe surmise, unless I'm just, uh, you know, uh, being a poser, I guess. You can kind of surmise by looking at this. It just may be I'm not riding any motorcycle. Okay. If you had on Harley-Davidson shirt, I could surmise from that, unless you're being a poser, you know, that you ride a, a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. We're kind of advertising that. We ought to be advertising for Jesus. With our lives, we ought to be advertising that we're servants the representatives, that we are sharers of the gospel. Let's break down some things about the gospel, since he brought up the gospel there, since Paul did. What you notice to begin with, it was a promised gospel. It's God's promised gospel. He said he was set apart for the gospel of God, which he'd promised beforehand by his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Paul said that he was set apart for the gospel. The, the word in the Greek that's used to set apart here is a different word than what we've seen in this series to this point. I want you to notice what the word means. This phrase set apart in this particular instance in the, in the New Testament Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, most of it. Some of it in Aramaic, most of it in Greek. Look what it means. To set off by a boundary to limit, to exclude, to appoint, to separate, or sever. The root words means to mark out a boundary line, a border or coast to specify, to declare, to determine, to ordain. So he's saying in that way, this boundary limit, I'll unpack that more in a minute. Paul's saying, I've been 
set off. I've, I've, I've been a limit put on my life. I've got this boundary line put around my life for or into the gospel. And the word for gospel basically just means good news, good tidings. We've got a good story that we can tell people. It's not a negative story that we can tell people. So the way Paul viewed his life is this. From the moment he met Christ as his Savior, from then on, he viewed himself as though God had put a boundary around his life. God had surveyed Paul and had bought Paul. And now Paul belonged to Jesus. And Paul has to live his life inside the limit or the boundary that Jesus had put around his life. So apply that to your own life for a minute. So some of you have gone out and bought property before and bought land. Before you actually throw the money down on the table, most of the time you want to see a survey. You want to know for sure what land you're getting. And then after you survey the land, you go and buy the land. Once you buy the land, all the land inside that boundary belongs to who? Belongs to you if you bought it. So view your life like that for a moment. As Christians, Jesus surveyed us. And guess what? We were found wanting. But he went to the cross and he died for us. And by doing so, he owns us. And we need to view ourselves as though he's put this boundary line or this even coastline around our lives. The Bible literally teaches this, that God appointed where the oceans stay inside the coast. God is the one that established that. In a similar way, I think God has limits for our lives, purposes for our lives, boundaries that he wants us to stay in and function in as believers. As believers, we need to stay inside the boundary of being his servants, being his representatives, being those who share the gospel for him. He bought us and he put this boundary around us. Our problem is we act like a hurricane too much or stormy sea. We want to push beyond our coast and beyond the bounds that God wants us to stay in many times. When what we need to do is this, say, God, the best that I can with your help, I'm going to live my life inside the boundaries of being your servant, inside the boundaries of being your representative, inside the boundaries of sharing your gospel message, your good news. Why don't we share it more? I mean, the the very definition, the very meaning of it is that it's good news that we have to share. I I can remember when my children were growing up and if they did something good, uh, man, a lot of times I'd go brag about it and tell people. They did something bad, I probably wouldn't go and say, guess what my kid did? Yeah, sometimes I would. <laughs> I've done it with some of you because I've asked some of you to pray for me during those times. I've probably told this story before, but when Jared's probably, I don't know, this tall maybe, seven or eight, his team was playing in the, uh, uh, the, the championship in baseball. And it was coach pitch. We were ahead by two runs. The other team was having their last at bat. They had two runners on base. One was at third and one was at first. We only had zero outs. So it didn't look too good. Because most of the time, somebody's going to score at that level, you know, little kids. It's coach pitch, coach pitches the ball. The guy on the other team hit a long shot out in the center field. Somehow, my son, seven or eight years old, runs under the ball and catches it, which they don't expect. <laughs> And the guy on third thinks he's going home, so he's left the base, heading home. Jared somehow had the presence of mind to look to third, and he had the arm, even at that age, he always had a strong arm, to throw it all the way to third base and get the guy out. So all of a sudden, now there's two outs, and then they're all frustrated, and the nice guy strikes out. (laughs) Did I tell somebody about that the following week when my son did? I'm still telling, he's he's 25 now. (laughs) I can't guarantee you I told somebody about that. But I've got something a whole lot more important to tell people than what any of my children's ever done or what any of you's ever done. 
I've got this good news that I can tell people that God loved them so much. He sent his son into this world and Jesus died on the cross and paid the full forever finished penalty for your sin. And when you accept that by faith, God forgives you of all your sins and he puts you in his family once and for all forever. Man, that's good news. So why don't we share it more? Just to be sure you understand what the good news really is. Because I hear some people will think they're telling the gospel. I've heard people say, well, here's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross and Jesus took his life back up. That's not good news to me. That's not the gospel. The gospel is what Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. You see, don't leave that part out. Jesus just dying isn't good news. Jesus taking his life back up after he died was good news for him. But when I understand the gospel message is Jesus died for my sins and then he took his life back up according to the scriptures, that makes it good news. That makes it something that other people ought to want to hear. And if we'll tell it in the right way, they're longing to hear it. They want to hear it if, we will, if we'll share it with them in the right way. Whose gospel is it? As we kind of walk through these last few verses of, uh, of Romans uh, chapter uh, 1, we're you know, looking at the last part of verse uh, 1, 1c all the way down through verse 7. Whose gospel did Paul say that it was? The gospel of who? What does it say? The gospel of God. It's his good news. He, he's the supreme divinity. He's the one that's in charge. It's his gospel message. And the only reason I want to point that out is, is for this reason. It's his gospel. It's not my gospel or somebody else's gospel to tweak with, to mess with, to change the, the content of. It's his gospel. One of the reasons people are so confused in our world is that they can't turn their TV on without being confused about what the gospel message is and the clarity of the gospel message. One of the reasons our culture is the way it is is because we fail to declare with clarity what the gospel message is. The gospel message is that Jesus died for our sins and he took his life back up. And all who believe in that, who trust in him, he gives them everlasting life. It's his gospel. It's not mine to mess with and change. It's not yours to mess with and change. It's not some cult to mess with and change or some evangelist on TV to mess with and change. It's the gospel of God. We need to keep it like that and be sure we're proclaiming his gospel. Paul also wrote these words. He said it was promised beforehand. That simply means that in times past, times old, through the channel of the act, of the prophets, the foretellers, God used many prophets in the Old Testament. Maybe they didn't even know what they were writing. I think probably a lot of them wasn't even sure what the full outcome of it would be. But God inspired them to write down the elements of the gospel to where we have every reason in the world to believe is true today. From, from Genesis through Revelation, we find truths of the gospel. All through the Old Testament, we find prophecies of Jesus. From Genesis, when, when that first sacrifice took place, we've got a picture of Jesus who's going to come. And God is saying that, that that seed would come and it's going to crush the head of the serpent. Talking about Satan. In all those Old Testament sacrifices, you have a picture of Jesus who's to come and be the ultimate Lamb of God. In Isaiah, we find out he's a person because Isaiah refers to him as he. He's going as that lamb before the shearers. He's going to be that man of sorrows. He's going to suffer us. We're told he's going to be virgin born. We're told in the Psalms things that would take place at the crucifixion scene that was so minuscule, the exact words and phrases are used when Jesus is being crucified. That's prophesied about in the Old Testament, by the way, before the Roman Empire ever came up with crucifixion as a means of execution. We're told it's going to happen. 
We're told all of it and then it comes true. We've got all the reason in the world to believe the gospel message because it was prophesied of old. For us to accept that the gospel is true. It was told about in the holy, holy scriptures. We've gotten away from that. Preacher friend of mine years ago, he was preaching a message. I remember him telling it still. He uh, was a, an evangelist, would travel around a lot, and then he pastored a Longleaf Baptist in, the, in, in, in Wilmington for, uh, for years uh, and, and everything. Uh, and was it Johnny Hunt? It was somebody who followed Johnny. I know Johnny too. But he said when he was growing up, his daddy taught him some things. His daddy taught him that a man ought to take care of his own property. You know, you ought to keep your yard looking good and stuff like that. And, and uh, this pastor friend of mine had learned that as a child. I always practice it. But he said, even though my dad at the time he taught me this wasn't a believer. He said, I remember one day at home, the Bible was laying there on the table. And I set my glass of milk on the Bible. He said, my dad wasn't even a believer. But he said, I learned really quick. You don't ever set your glass of milk on the Bible. People do that today and not even think about it. Even lost people viewed it as the holy scriptures in that day and time. And we need to get back to honoring the scriptures, the word of God, the integrity of the scriptures. We live in a culture today that does not know what they believe because they've, they, they've allowed people to, to, to tear this apart. And as people are tearing it apart, they don't even know the truth of it. They don't even know the unity of the scriptures and, and the prophecies and how it proves out and things like that. We, we've allowed that to happen in our culture. People don't even know what's right anymore. They, they, they live their lives based on, on what government says or what culture says instead of what the Word of God says. I, I can't even sit down and watch the Olympics anymore without being confronted with people that don't have any idea what their lifestyle ought to be about. And the way God made them because of what's being presented on TV. We, we need to get back to the fact that the scriptures are holy. And we need to really get back to this. And that is the fact that the gospel message concerns Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we don't have a gospel we don't have any good news without Jesus. Paul said that this gospel message was concerning. The interesting phrase in the Greek, and it means all over, all around. Hey, you take this book all over and all around. It's about Jesus if you read it right. The, the prophets gave us that information about Jesus concerning his son, God's son, who is descended. Now, you need to get something technical here real quick because I don't want you going off haywire on your theology when it says he was descended of David. The phrase that's used there means to, to come about or to generate or to make it be so. Listen, there was a time when Jesus became of the lineage of David. There's never a time that Jesus came into being. You understand the difference? He's always been the eternal, everlasting God. We'll see in just a minute, while even though he was descended to be from, from David, from his lineage, to where he sits upon the throne of David, according to the flesh, that's not really where Jesus came from. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is virgin born, the Bible tells us. If you'll ever get a little book by M.R. Dehan called The Chemistry of the Blood and read that, he's a medical doctor and you'll find this out, that the blood in a baby comes from the DNA of the daddy. That's really important when it comes to Jesus because the blood in Jesus didn't come from Mary. The blood in Jesus came from God himself when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she brought forth the virgin born Savior into this world. Yes, he might have been descended to where he fits the prophecy of being from the lineage of David. But we're going to see here in just a moment that he was declared to be the son of God based upon his resurrection from the dead. We just need to remember who the gospel is about. The gospel is about Jesus. And then it's God's powerful gospel too. It's God's promised gospel, but it's God's powerful gospel. Paul writes this in verse four. 
and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's something to me very interesting. Remember what I told you set apart man a minute ago? That Paul was saying God had put a boundary around him, a limit around him, a coastline around him, that he was a servant and a representative and a share of the gospel. And how we ought to apply that to ourselves and view ourselves as though God's put a boundary around us. The Holy Spirit uses the exact same word here referring to Jesus. God marked out who his son is. God put a boundary around who his son is. God established fully who his son is. Because in power, in the miraculous force of God, he established him to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, by his standing again from the dead. The word dead here literally means corpse. Now guys, maybe you've seen it. I never have. But maybe you have seen it in your life. I doubt it. The 10 years I spent in law enforcement, I saw a lot of corpses. I've never seen one get up and walk off. The 34, going on toward 35 years, I think maybe this summer that I've, that I've been a pastor, I've seen a lot of corpses. I've preached a lot of funerals. I've never seen one get up and walk off. Some people doubt the resurrection. They'll say, oh, they, they, he didn't really take his life up from the grave. Yes, he did. <laughs> And the fact that he did proves in power who he is. And the fact that Jesus did that shows to us that we have a powerful gospel to share. We have a powerful message to share. And if we have such a powerful message to share, why don't we share it like we should with others? Paul also says it's a personal gospel. Paul writes these words, through whom we have received grace. Will you put yourself in Paul's shoes for a minute? Then I'll ask you to put yourself in your own shoes if you know Christ. You imagine the Holy Spirit of God leading Paul to write these words, through whom we have received grace. Paul remembered what he used to do. Paul remembered who he used to be. And yet Paul writes now that we have received grace. In other words, no matter who Paul used to be and no matter Paul, what Paul used to do, Paul had received grace. Will you apply that to your life for a moment? No matter who you used to be, no matter what you used to do, if you know Christ as your Savior, you have received grace. It's a personal gospel. Why is that important? Why am I making that a point? Because if we're going to go out proclaiming the gospel, it has to be personal and real to us first. We have to know we've received grace. You wonder why that's important? If you go out in your own power and Satan starts reminding you, hey, remember who you used to be? Remember all those things you used to do? You're not going to be too energized in trying to share the gospel. But if you know who you used to be and what you used to do and you know it was nailed to the cross and you know you're under the grace of God, then with freedom and power, you can go out and share the gospel anyway. Which brings us to the last point. It needs to be a proclaimed gospel. God's gospel needs to be a proclaimed gospel. Paul looked at himself and he said, I'm a servant. I'm an apostle. I've been set apart. I've got a boundary put around me for the gospel message. In order that, through this apostleship, through this calling that Paul had, he could be used of God to go out to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for the sake of the name of Jesus among all the nations including the ones in Rome that he was writing to. That's how Paul viewed himself. He was set apart to proclaim the gospel message. He viewed himself as being an apostle. And that technical term I told you earlier, specifically, he was commissioned, he was set apart 
to go out and bring the nations to where they would hear under, where they would listen attentively, to where they would even heed and conform to the gospel message that he is sharing with them. He's doing it for the sake of the name of Jesus. That's why he's doing it over and above beyond for the sake of Jesus, who he is, the authority of Jesus, the character of Jesus among, and that means in a fixed position among all in every nation, tribe, race, whatever you want to throw under that category. Paul said, that's what his life was about. And folks, what Paul says of himself, I think we need to say of ourselves that we're to be servants, that we're to be representatives, and we're to be sharers of the gospel. To all the nations, to all the people groups. Now, when I use that phraseology, some of you are thinking, yeah, we ought to go to Africa, we ought to go to Guatemala, we ought to go here, and we ought to go there. Yes, we should. We also ought to do it in Jerusalem. And in Judea and in the most part of the world. When I say a people group, don't think of some lost tribe out there somewhere. You've got people groups in your backyard that don't know Jesus. You've got people that you work with every day that don't know Jesus. You've got people that live in your community that don't know Jesus. You've got people that you do not like and you think because you don't like them and because they don't look like you that you can have an out from not having to share Jesus with them. No, I'm sorry, you don't. You need to especially try and love them and reach out to them and try and share the gospel with them. We don't have an out because of this color of their skin. We don't have an out because of what their lifestyle might look like. We are to be sharers of the gospel for his name's sake, trying to impact all the nations of the world. Because that's what Paul viewed himself to be. And that's how we need to view ourselves. There are people out there that are lost, but they're loved by God. With God's much love, with his agape love. God wants to invite them to be saints. God wants to appoint them to be saints through faith in his son. God wants them to experience his grace and his peace by trusting in Christ and being brought back together. That's what peace means, to be brought back together with God. We're separated from him by our sins, but through Jesus and our faith in him, we're brought back together and we can experience the unmerited favor of God and the peace of God because through the gospel, we've been brought back together. If that's happened for your life, he wants to use you as his representative, as his ambassador, as his servant to share it with the lost and dying world around you. For the nations to come to obedience, that's what Paul said he was called to. For the nations to come to obedience of the faith through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you guess? Can you guess? Can you guess? What might have to happen for the nations to come to obedience? Somebody has to tell them. The Jesus that we have in here, as I mentioned last week, needs to get out of in here. Somebody has to tell them. And if you are a Christian... I think you're under the same obligation and I'm under the same obligation to view ourselves as Paul viewed himself. I'm to view myself as a servant, as a representative, and as a sharer of the gospel. I'm going to read you two of the passages of Scripture and then we're done. Romans 1, verse 17. The whole Reformation was launched by Martin Luther based on this passage of Scripture. For I'm not ashamed, Paul writes, of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Not by works. You work because you're saved. You become righteous by faith. And then from there we even serve God based upon faith. But what I want to key you in is that little first phrase. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. 
Why do, why do you? Why, why do I sometimes? Why do we act like we're ashamed of it? Are you afraid somebody's going to make fun of you if you tell them at work or your friends? I'd rather them make fun of me here than stand before God and try to make excuses why I didn't tell them. We don't need to be ashamed of it. We've got good news. It's something wonderful we're trying to share with them. Paul also writes this a little bit later in Romans. But how are they to call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? By the way, that word doesn't mean to get up here and do what I'm doing. It means just to share the gospel message. The same word we get our word evangelism from. And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I think the Bible teaches this. I think the Bible teaches we're all to view ourselves as servants and representatives and sharers of the gospel. In other words, the Bible teaches you have been sent. What we need to do is go and have beautiful feet and tell people. I don't care how crooked your toes is, how many calluses you have, how bad your feet stink. I'm telling you, you can have beautiful feet if you'll carry the gospel message to lost people and they hear the gospel message. They're going to worship God and thank God for those feet that carried you to tell them the gospel message. As we did last week, there's not as many up here. We'll have to order more. We've got some more for Easter. There might be just a few of the pamphlets like we had last week. A new pamphlet that's up here is one that you might have seen we've had outside on the tables for a little while by Rick Warren. It's entitled, What on Earth Am I Here For? Uh, Mark Gray, who's over the church planning team, uh, Mark was leading the session, my, myself and the other consultants in the state with the church planning team. Uh, we went down to Union County Monday and Tuesday, and we took pastors out in vans after we did some training with them, and we we're trying to get them to see pockets of lost people in their communities and see how maybe they could reach them. If I had time to go into the stats, I would, but I don't. But it'd break your heart if I told you some of the stats. I was in the area to the west part of Union County. In other words, the people that work in Charlotte live there because they don't want to pay Mecklenburg County taxes. The biggest age group was around 34 years old, and they're living in 200,000, 300,000 up to a million dollar homes. And in the area that I was in, there was five churches, and one of them, one of them looked like they ought to have been able to reach the people because they had a really nice building, and it kind of looked like the aesthetics of all those nice homes. And it was a church that started in 1990. The problem is today they're just running 140. And from 2010 until today, the population has tripled in that particular pocket, and they're going to get 10,000 more by 2022. The rest of the churches, and not nothing against those churches, but they were small country churches like we might see out somewhere. They might, but I doubt it. They're probably not going to reach those young couples. But anyway, Mark Ray was talking about how to reach people that maybe think about things, higher education. They want to process things more. You can give Romans Road to some people, but some people need a little bit more. They're wondering what their life is about. And you give them this pamphlet and they can read through it. And it's going to present Jesus to them. You can go online and hear negative stuff about anybody. I saw some this past week. But uh, you know what? Before you start shooting at Rick Warren, you go out and plant uh, the kind of church he has and win as many people he has. You go out and you do that and win that many people to Jesus. I might listen to you shooting at Rick Warren. But we have some of these up here that you can use to try and share with people around you. You don't have to come during the invitation. You can come after the service to grab them. But what I do think we need to do during the invitation, if you already know Christ as your Savior, probably most of us need to apologize to God 
for not being the servant and the representatives and the sharers of the gospel that we should be. And we need to make promises that we're going to go out and have beautiful feet as we share the gospel in the world around us. Father, help us to make conscience meaningful decisions as your followers right now. Those in this room that know you, help us, Father, to go forth and view ourselves and function as your servants in the culture that we live in. Help us to represent you in this world in which we live. Father, help us to be a sharer of the gospel of Christ, to bring to obedience through faith the lost peoples of this world. Help us to recognize it begins right here in home, right where we work, right in our own communities. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.